Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome this morning. I'm sitting here before I dial in. I get up early in the morning on Saturdays. I say I have my off-the-shelf radio interview to do, so let me get up. And I puddle around the house, and and then I, I, I log into my computer and pull up my show about 30 minutes before the show goes off. So and I was doing other things, and I said, man, I got about five minutes. Then I look up, I log in, I'm like, oh, I got a minute. <laughs> I'm rushing with our guests. But we have a wonderful show uh, for you today, and I just feel so, so so much joy. I love sitting in the office and the sun is streaming through the window. It rained here, I think it was Wednesday, but it's so gorgeous and sunny out. Looking forward to getting out there. I want to welcome all of you to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this Saturday, May the 3rd, the first Saturday in May. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. As I tell you, it is an absolute joy to have you here. For our loyal listeners, and you folks have been with us for going on 10 years now. We are almost hitting 10 years, heading in 11 years. I I thank you so, so much, the many listeners in, it, they, in the thousands and thousands and thousands who listen to Off the Shelf. Thank you so much. But to those who you just might be tuning in for the first time, I always like to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always say, I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Before we get into today's show, I want to encourage you to go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me if you like romance. And you as a reader know what you enjoy or if you're somebody who just loves entertainment, whether it's in a, in, in a print or something visual like a movie. But if you like mystery and romance and you value friendships and you like excitement, scenes that keep you on the edge of your seat, you're really going to enjoy Love Pour Over Me. The message in the story, you get to watch people evolve and grow and develop the same as we do in our lives. And we look back over our lives and we see how we've changed and how we would probably handle a situation differently, but how we did handle it, how it's shaped us and it has how it's impacted the people around us, our friends, our family. That's what you're going to get when you read Love Pour Over Me, which makes it easy for you to connect with the story and the characters, Raymond, he's a he's an outstanding track runner, and the love of his life, Brenda, where they meet at a college in uh, Pennsylvania. If you value friendship and relationships, and, and just the the way we evolve as we go through our life journeys, I really encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get a copy at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Google, ebook it, ebookit.com, Walmart, iTunes, any anywhere online or offline. It's in print and ebook format. All you have to do is ask the clerk for it if you don't see it on the shelves and they can order a copy for you. Again, that's Love Pour Over Me by me, my latest book, Denise Turney. Please go out and get a copy today and let me know how you enjoy the book. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest and our special guest today. And I was asking her, I hope I'm saying your name right. Our special guest today is Shell Ramsey. And Shell is a native of Atlanta, Georgia. We know they're playing the Indiana Pacers. I don't know if she's in the basketball, but they're coming down to the wire. Atlanta let those last couple of games go in the last three minutes of the game. So they're back in Indiana to play the Pacers for the seventh game. But she is a native of Atlanta, and she has worked in child care and business management. She is a wife, a mother, and a book club host. And for a writer, that's a great thing to be. She also has an MBA in human resources management, which really interests me since I work in human resources. And her novels include Reflections of Promises, wonderful title, Real Secrets, is the grass really greener? And be, her latest, which we're going to talk about here today on Off the Shelf, is Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel. You can learn more about Shel Ramsey and her books by visiting her website at www.cmichelleramsey.com. And that's spelled C-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. 
R A M S E Y dot com. And again, that's C M I C H E L L two L's E R A M S E Y dot com. So this is what I love about Off the Shelf. You can go to her website right now, check out her books. Learn more about her, read her bio, more about what she does, what her passions and interests are, and listen to her respond to the day's interview questions that I ask her. That is just a wonderful, wonderful thing about online radio. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Shell. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. And we're excited to have you here at Off the Shelf. We have, I'll tell you, you are in a long list of just awesome guests we've had on the show, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to be here with us. I want to ask you, I I grew up, I was born in Ohio, but my dad moved us to Tennessee when I was nine, and I, we used to go to Atlanta, and I thought Atlanta, now today, you know, I go to New York City often, but I thought Atlanta was just the big, biggest city in the world, and and then it grew even more uh, I, last time I was down there was a couple of years ago. I said, man, I would never want to have to drive down here. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like driving in L.A. probably. Now, was Atlanta as busy and as bustling when you were a kid as it is today? And how how has the city changed since you were a kid? It's nowhere near as big and as busy as it was. I um, actually had a conversation with my mom, and she was talking about when she first got her license and before 75 and 85 merged, the connector, as it's known. And I still, to this day, do not like driving on the connector because if anybody knows, driving through downtown Atlanta on the highway is a nightmare. Um, Everybody's cutting everybody off. It's really fast. And so I work in downtown Atlanta, and I take the back streets just so I can avoid that. I'll I'll take all the other highways except for 7585 where it connects that. I do not like it. Um, As far as the city overall, it's changed a lot. I remember um, there used to be a park downtown in, in the heart of downtown, right where Five Points Marta Station is at. And in that park, there was always all the homeless people sleeping, and it stayed that way forever. And, you know, we'd go through there, and, and, and everything was okay. It was just Atlanta. And when the Olympics came, that's when I noticed a huge change in my city because immediately everybody's thinking, we've got to clean up the city. We've got to get it together because everybody's coming from all over the world. And one of the main things they did was clean all of that park area up and, and, and remove all of the homeless out, And which was kind of heartbreaking, you know, understanding their thought process in it. But it was really heartbreaking because it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do with them? This is what they've called home. This is where they go. And they completely revamped that entire area, um, got rid of the park, redid Underground Atlanta because Underground Atlanta used to be in a different location. And so they moved that right there, uh, right at Marta, uh, the Five Points Marta station. There's just been a lot of change, a lot of growth that has come to the city. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. It's definitely a good thing, but it's not the same city it was when I was a little girl. It, 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 I was gonna, that was my next question to ask you. What was life like growing up in Atlanta? Certainly when you think of Atlanta, you think of Martin Luther King Jr., you think of the Civil Rights Movement, you think of the, the different set of Spellman and Clark and the different schools in the city and, and then that small radius. There's so many things, and people who just go through there today they probably don't really realize just how much has changed. I can just remember from the when we would go down there in the 70s, I, I, I thought it was a big city, but I'm telling you, it's nothing like what <laughs> today. It's just so, it really is. Oh my God, it's 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 like a a different it's like a different city. So yeah. I mean, you were born and raised there. Growing up, was it a simpler city when you grew up? Was it? I mean, what was life for you like as a kid growing up in Atlanta? I'm sure it's very, very different today. When I think of that now, it's to me all I ever knew um, and never really left the city until I became an adult. So being here through the growth and through the change, it it did not have an impact on me the way it would have someone who had been here and left and then come back to visit. Okay. Um, it, it was all just the same to me. And... um you know, I think now we grew up in a time frame where um, I'm a 70s baby, but, you know, being a kid during the 80s, 
Mm-hmm. It was very sheltered back then to a certain extent. I remember mm-hmm. that, you know, Cal had to be in before the streetlights were on. Yes, and at yes. a specific point in time in the early 80s, I remember we were not allowed to leave from our front yard because that's when the Atlanta murders were going on. All the children ah, were being kidnapped. Yes, yes, and yes. so it was a scary time for us. Um, and I, I specifically remember coming to school one day and one little boy did not come home that night. And all of the kids were so scared because we just knew he had been kidnapped. Thank God mm. he was okay. He had just run away from home for whatever reason. Oh, okay. But that's what times were, were more like yeah. back then. You know, it, it was scary in that aspect of it, but there was not a lot of things going on. And now when I look at it and all of the fears that we have for our kids because of oh, technology, yeah. because of, you know, everything else that's bringing it right here up front and center, you know, where there once was a time my mom could just say, you know what, you guys come in the house and my dad could say, you know, you're not going outside for whatever reason. You all stay in the house and this is what it is. And, you know, we've got you protected, but now we've got to watch our kids on the Internet because we don't yes. know who they might be <laughs> You know, where when you were at home at first, you were safe, right. you know, and it's, wow. it's just a different situation. And I, I even look now as I'm watching still my city undergo a lot of changes. Right now they're building um, the rail cars downtown Atlanta, and my my um, daytime job, it's right there on Edgewood Avenue, and so they're building right in front of our building. And that, of course, has made traffic a nightmare. And a lot of the people in the city are like, oh, my goodness, this rail car. But I'm excited about it because I always used to look at San Francisco and say, I want a trolley. I want to ride a trolley. So (laughs) I'm excited about that change because as soon as it's ready, I want to be one of the first ones to hop on there. Okay, you get your chance to do that. What Before we start talking about your book and listening to you is, is bringing back memories. And it's interesting that you said that years ago to protect your kids, you said just stay at home. And now that's not often the protections. Yeah. Thanks, you know, due to the Internet that it, that it wants it, cell phones and mobile devices. What did you dream of becoming? What, what, what were your, your greatest dream, what you thought it, saw yourself as when you were a kid? A pediatrician or physical therapist. Oh, a pediatrician <laughs> or what? Oh, you said a pediatrician or, a physical or what? Therapist. Physical therapist. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And, and you in, had nothing to do with writing. Yeah, and you're in human resources. Isn't it interesting yeah. when you look back at what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Now it changes. What? What did you? Where did your love for reading and writing come from? Was it organic, Mama. or was there somebody? Ah. My mother, um, she, as a little kid, she was just telling me not too long ago, she said, you started learning to read. She said, you were reading at the age of four. And she said, because she would always sit down and read books to me. And Uh um, it was a great treat for me when we would go to the library. And we would go to the library and we would go and go home. And, you know, my brothers would be off playing. My dad would be at work. And our thing was to go and lay on the couch or lay in her bedroom on the bed and read. And I would fall asleep with the book in my hand. And then as I became a teenager and I started reading Danielle Steele and B.C. Andrews, she and I would swap books. And she would be like, Michelle, are you finished with that book yet? And I'm like, no, well, you need to hurry up because I'm ready for that one so you can get this one. So it was always, you know, that stemmed from my mom as far as the reading portion. The writing portion came in a form of self-entertainment, just bored one day at the age of 12 and just start, you know, making up things. My auntie um, actually used to write the names of people, and she would make up the names of the families and their ages, and that's all she would do on all these notebooks. She was only nine years older than me, so when I was a kid, she was a teenager. And one day I started doing that same thing. Well, after I started doing that, I was like, well, you know, thinking about, well, what is their life like? And so I would start jotting down things about them. And eventually Ah. that that was the making stories. And that was not something that was ever shared with anybody because in my head it was something silly and goofy that I did, and I didn't want anybody Uh to read it. And I just Uh hid them away for 10 years, 10, 11 years I did it. Interesting, very interesting. When I when we ask guests here at Off the Shelf how they got started writing, often I do hear it was either a teacher or somebody in their family that really encouraged them the love of reading, a love for self-expression through writing, and some just stumbled upon it. 
some as adults, yeah. some as children, but I find that it's either a teacher or a family member more more often. Now, so so many writers, we, we talked a little earlier, uh, Shell, about this. You, you work in human resources. So many writers juggle a full-time corporate job. A lot of people think that you put out a novel and you just earn all your money <laughs> from novel writing. I remember before she passed Frances Ray, she was a best-selling romance novelist, and she also had one or more of her books adapted for television on BET, and she was a nurse. So it, there are a lot of writers that they may be on the bestseller list, but even Toni Morrison, I think she's worked, I don't know if she still does, at the, she taught at the university, uh, uh, I want to say Princeton University, and so did uh, Joyce Carol Oates. These are these are internationally renowned writers. Now when it comes to I want to ask you, with, with the, the job that you have that you juggle with your writing, why why did you choose human resources? How did you get – you wanted to be a pediatrician or a physical therapist. You like to write. How did you get into human resources? Actually, that, that, that was kind of a spoof. I was, I was working at the YMCA and um, working with children, and I had been working with children until I had my two youngest and decided I couldn't do it anymore because at the end of the day I was burnt out from working with the kids at the Y and then coming home to my own and didn't have enough energy, and I wanted to do something different. And I Mm -hmm. knew I had always loved to write, loved to read, so I saw administration and um, found out that there was a position coming open, which I applied for and went into that aspect of it and, you know, worked in administration for several years with the Y. YMCA, but during that time, I wanted to go back to school and had been being encouraged to go back to school, um, but I had become really passionate about what I saw some of the people going through on the job with me, people afraid to speak out because they didn't, you know, they were worried they might be terminated against, mm-hmm. you know, what they thought might be unfair um, treatment at, and, you know, just different things, and nobody knew what their rights were or what, you know, what they had at their disposal to be able to um, change the whole work environment. And I would always become passionate about trying to find out, well, what are our rights? What can we do? What can we not do? What protections do we have? And I would research this stuff, and it just really became passionate to me to speak out on behalf of that. And at one particular location, um, a lot of people were having some issues about things that they were going through at work, and yet they were scared to speak out. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the head boss and said something to him about it, and he was like, well, you know, if they just bring their feelings to me, we can discuss it, and, you know, we can figure out what's going on, and we can work through it. If they bring the problems, they need to bring a resolution. And that was his only thing. He said, I will listen and hear everything they have to say, and we will work through this as long as they bring me a resolution or what they think may be a resolution. Don't just bring me the problem. And mm-hmm. so he said that, and, and out of that came a morale committee where we worked on building staff morale and ah. really changed some of the things that we thought needed to be changed. And mm-hmm. at that point, Still thinking about going back to school, my husband said, you know what? He said, I know you always stayed at medicine. He said, but I look at you and the passion that you have for this and how important, you know, people are to you and, and just being able to make a difference in their lives. He said, you ever thought about human resources? And I was like, nah. And then he just, you know, <laughs> kept telling me to look at that. And so I looked into it and everything, and then there I was. Wow. Uh, and even now, I still haven't gotten as into HR as I initially intended because I ended up changing my focus more onto my books, but I still have that passion at work that, you know, everything is so important. Recognition of employees is a huge thing with me, employee recognition, whether it's, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, or um, employee of the month, those type things I feel like are extremely important and instrumental to any company's success because only when your employees are happy are they going to have mm-hmm. that buy-in to making that company as profitable and as successful as it can be? When they're not happy and you've got high turnover, your clients are not going to be happy. Your customers are not going to be happy. You've got to invest yeah. in the most important thing, which are your employees. There's so much that goes on in human resources. And then after this question, we're going to jump into talking about your book. Uh, 
I have to ask you because I've worked in human resources for many years, and people would say to me, you should write a novel and put some of the crazy stuff that goes on in this company <laughs> in your book. Have you ever, as we go into talking about Bejeweled, the fight of an angel, have you ever incorporated any experiences you had working in human resources in any of your novels? You know, changing the names, changing it so nobody will know, but adding some of There's so much you see when you work in human resources. Actually, I have not. Believe it or not, I've not, and lightly considered it, but I end up focusing more on the issues that people go through in their daily home life and personal lives. It's something that was always at the back of my head, but I just never really tackled that yet, and I don't know why I haven't, just just never did. Okay. Can you now give our off-the-shelf listeners a brief overview Without telling the whole story, we don't want to give it all away, but just enough to really interest them in your new novel. Can you give them a brief overview of Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel? Yes. Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel is the first book in a four-book series, and it focuses on Olivia Morris, who is the owner of the shop, um, The House of Jeweled, which is the hair and beauty salon, and it focuses on a few of her clients and staff and things of that nature. Each book will focus her, focus on her, but it will also feature one of her stylists or nail techs or masseuses. And so Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel, is the story of, of course, Olivia and her stylist, Angel Franklin. And um, Angel, well, first of all, Bejeweled is everything to Olivia. It's her life. She pours everything she has into that shop. She's a single. She's an only child, and both of her parents are deceased. So that is her family. And she is focused on being a positive light of inspiration to everyone that she comes into contact with. Her staff seem to constantly have some type of drama going on, and sometimes they bring it into the shop, but she's determined not to let them drag her down. Um, she has, as I said, made that her life, yet all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, one of her old best friends pops back up into her life, and she is kind of questioning, why are you returning back to Atlanta? He moved away to go to Boston, and he's been gone for almost 15 years. He's you know, wow. had his own family and everything, and so she's wondering, mm-hmm. why are you back? What's going on? What's, you know, what is your story? And she's, she's always been in love with this man, and no one ever knew uh-huh. it. She harbored that secretly in her heart. And so now it's like in the midst of him coming back, she's also got some new drama coming up in her shop, and she's trying to balance everything and stay inspirational and keep her sanity through it all. Angel Franklin is a stylist who is in a, a relationship where her husband is constantly having one infidelity after another. He's having all these mm. issues, always turned her head. And, you know, she's always believed, well, you know, if I keep praying and if I keep having faith and if I keep being a good woman, mm. he's gonna, one day he's going to, you know, come back home. He's going to appreciate who I am and he's going to get it. You know, we've got this son together and life is going to get better. I just got to hold on. I just got to keep the faith. But, Eventually, he does something that really takes those infidelities really close to home, something that she can't continue to ignore. And at that particular point, she's got to determine, you know, am I going to keep fighting for my marriage or am I going to start my life over? And it's basically the story. It's representative of every woman. It's representing the journey that, you know, Angel's uh, characters taking her flight, the character of Olivia's flight. It represents the journey I've taken in becoming who I am, every woman that I've known that has strived to become herself. And it's, you know, just a portrait of women our, as we struggle with our fears, our doubts, our self-consciousness and insecurities. It's a representation of learning to believe in yourself and loving yourself through all the ups and downs that life brings and learning to soar on our wings in the end towards our own inner power and strength. Okay, okay. Now, Olivia, how old she owns, she owns the House of Bejeweled, which is like a hair salon. How mm-hmm. old is she? How old is she? Your parents are deceased. She has no children. She's not married. This guy's coming back into her life, back to from to Atlanta from Boston after 15 years. How old is she and how long has she owned um, the shop at the one started the novel? She is 46 years old, and she has personally owned the shop for five years. She has worked there for a lifetime and, and really been invested in it because she inherited it from her mother, Jewel. Oh. The shop was named after. 
So it became her legacy when mom passed away. Okay. I'm glad I asked you that question. That's a good backstory. So her mother owned it, and then she takes it over. Okay. Now, you told us about Angel. She, what, does, what is Angel? I'm trying to get a little background more on her. I know she's in this relationship. Her husband is in for this. She keeps cheating, and she thinks, if I just pray a little harder or change something about myself. And I think both men and women do that in relationships. People do that on their jobs. If I just change this, it'll work. But sometimes it's just not the right thing, and you have to move on. I'm just thinking that to myself this morning. There's, there's times when you just have to say goodbye. It's just not going to work. What, can you tell us, what does Angel do for a living? What are some of her passion? What makes her tick? What makes her tick? And can you tell us about one to two major challenges we know one, dealing with her husband, that she faces in Bejeweled, the flight of an angel. She is, Angel is a really sweet girl. She's real compassionate and she's observant and she really cares about other people. But unfortunately, she tends to take things personally that doesn't have anything to do with her. So when she's standing up for the little guy, she's standing up for someone who she feels like is being, you know, ridiculed or whatnot, she gets so emotionally caught up in it that she takes everything personal. Um, She is, her parents, her parents divorced when she was a teenager because her father, her father was a teacher, um, and he had an affair with another Uh, teacher at the school. That kind of explains her. Her, her relationship. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so she takes on, um, she takes, her, her mother takes her and her siblings and moves to Atlanta away from dad. And she has, she's hurt because her dad was her world and he was everything, you know. And in her mind, there's going to be no one else like dad, but she's never forgiven dad for what he did, you know, to her mom. Um, she continues to try to find her inner strength. She's got her faith in everything, but it's constantly being it's constantly being challenged by what she's going through with her husband. And unfortunately, her husband is also a hustler. He's a guy out in the streets. He works, but he is selling drugs on the side, and she has an issue with that. And so she's always worried what's happening to him, you know, when he's not coming home, you know, is he in jail, is he killed? She's got all of this mm. on her worrying about. And she really loves her husband, but she wants him to come out of that life and into, you know, what she perceives as a better life, you know, living the life that she feels God intended for them to live. But on the other side, she's battling him with him saying, well, you knew who I was when you met me. Yeah. Why are you trying to change me now? That same mentality. Uh, and he's like, you know, well, you accepted this, and, and this is what you married into. Why all of a sudden do I have to change? Why are you mm. so me? And so she's dealing with that. And then with him being in the streets the way that he is, he is very well known. Um, people know his reputation. And, of course, in the beauty salon, they gossip. And they talk yeah. about everything and everybody. And she has unfortunately been at the root of that gossip too many times. Mm. And it makes it hard for her because she loves her, she loves uh, the salon, the House of Bejeweled Salon. She's a stylist there. And she loves being there, but she hates it when she's falling under the attack, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it, it really makes it difficult for her knowing that everything that they're saying is usually true, but it still doesn't help because yeah, it hurts to hear it. she considers her friends. <laughs> Anybody, you don't want to hear. We don't like to hear the truth, especially when it's something yeah. we don't like. None of yeah. us like that. Why? Why in the world she's got a job at a beauty salon? Is she not able? Her husband left. Could she not maintain the lifestyle she's enjoying? Why does she put up with the way he treats her? And then I, you, 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 when you were explaining it, another question popped into my head: Why did she get with him when she knew? I don't know why women do that. Why did she get with him knowing the way he was? <laughs> Why do women do that? Low self-esteem, self-consciousness, and insecurity. He paid attention to her and, you know, gave her what she felt like she needed, just that little attention, you know, after she had gone through everything with her parents and just feeling like someone really loved her. She knew he was in the streets, but she didn't realize the other side of him. And, you know, so she, in her mind, like many women felt like, oh, I can change him. He'll, you know, oh, he'll change. Why do we he'll do that? Of it. Oh, I know. God. I know. And it's so self-destructive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
What is it? That, oh, my gosh. Why do we do that? I, you you don't know the number of women I've talked oh, you Why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Why do and, we and, do and that? I, and I think it goes back to, like I said, it's always that self-consciousness. And he comes along and he says all the right things that you want to hear. You're already insecure. And you, and you feel like you need someone to validate you. And that's why she's fighting for her marriage, because she needs to be validated by what she thinks will be a faithful, committed relationship if he just changes his ways. You know, and her mother did not have that in her father, and so she's like, I'm going to make mine work. I'm going to, you know, mm. we're going to work through this. I'm not going to just give up. I'm not going to pack up and leave. And so she keeps going through it again and again and again. And in the in the words of someone who read the book, she knows that what she's doing is stupid, but she keeps doing it, you know. Wow. She keeps going. How, how many of her mother, is, 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 is Angel close to her mother? Are, and our Angel and her, uh, Angel's mother and father, you said they divorced, right? Mm-hmm. Or they didn't? They are did divorced. Did, is, is she close to her mother? And does she blame her mother for the end of her parents' marriage? She is close to her mother, and she's also uh, she was close to her father. And she initially blamed her mother when um, everything went astray. You know, in her earlier years, she blamed both of her parents. She was mad at mom, of course, for taking her away from dad and moving to another state. But as she grew and as she became an adult, she definitely forgave her mother. But she still harbors that resentment towards her dad for allowing, you know, that to happen to their family. Does when when people readers have been reading and the, the book Bejeweled the Five of an Angel for our author chef listeners, it just was released in April. Is that correct? Just that is this correct. year. So just a month ago, off the shelf listeners, Bejeweled the Five of an Angel by Shell Ramsey just came out. But what have you been hearing from readers so far? I have heard a lot about this book, um, more so in that it's it's really amazing how various people connect with it. There are some people who say, you know what, I really felt Angel's character. I I felt the insecurities and the self-consciousness. I've been through this or that, and, you know, I understand how she would continue to fight and, and, you know, and go through it trying to change life around, trying to make it better for her. And then there are those who really admire, and I don't want to give too much away, but they admire right. what happens in the end. And, and you know, specifically uh, a male told me that he admired the loyalty that she had. And he said to me, he said, To her husband? It's really hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said, even though he loved the outcome of it, he said, and she was stupid to go through what she went through, he said, but I admired her loyalty in that he said, I wish more women were loyal like her. And I said, loyal as in taking what he dealt out? He said, no, not necessarily that, but loyal as in I'm going to give it my best and I'm going to give it my all. He said, because I've seen females that do have a good relationship. He said, and they will throw it away. You just don't find that loyalty in females anymore. And that kind of threw me because, you know, that was a different perspective than I had ever heard, especially, you know, hearing that from a male um, I've heard people talk about how they loved Olivia's character and how inspirational she was and, you know, people telling me that they strive to be that woman that she is, you know, having really grounded and centered in her faith and knowing who she is, knowing what she wants in life and not willing to compromise her values for any reason. Um, You know, the gossip they honestly love, of course, and there's a character (laughs) in there, Tyrone, that Tyrone is a diva in his own right, and in his Uh own mind, he actually (laughs) took over my blog one time, and, 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 you know, some of them love him because they think he's just hilarious. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different, you know, feedback that I've been getting, but it's all really been positive, and, and, and I'm loving it, and um, a lot of people are telling me that it's very inspirational. Um, mm. it's, it's really down to earth, dealing with true problems that people go through, keeping it real, and just um, just really, you know, 
inspirational. My first lady at my church actually read the book, and I was a little hesitant to allow her to read the book because it's not Christian fiction. It's women's fiction. Mm-hmm. And so there are, you know, there's the adult content in there, and then there's black. Black is from the streets. He is who he is. He's not... When I write, I don't write in a manner where if, you know, he's, if I'm dealing with someone, for instance, if they are in an abusive situation, if that husband is abusing her, he's not going to say, come here and get your behind over here right now. He's going to talk right. like a man would talk if he was literally in the midst of beating his wife. So with Black being in the streets, he talks as though he's in the streets. And right. I was kind of hesitant about letting her read it. And so I gave her all these warnings. Yeah, I gave her all these warnings. And I was like, uh-oh, what is she going to think? And the funny thing about it was after I gave her the book, I was in church one Sunday, and I was on my um, tablet and couldn't get connected to their Internet. And my son looks at me. He said, uh-oh, Mama, she read your book, and they, they blocked you from their Internet. And I said, <laughs> said, oh, that's mean. But she she came out and um, – on two different occasions. It was at one night at Sunday school and then one day in church. And her and pastor called me up to the front, and they just told everybody about the book. And I'm sitting here, like, wanting to disappear because I'm really introverted, and I've got to stand up in front of everybody at church. And she uh-huh. went on and on about how inspirational it was and how motivational it was. She said, and it's a really uh-huh. good reason for men and women. And she said, you know, it's something good for men as well, she said. And what I love about it is how she ties f- forgiveness and faith back into it, she said. She she said the message, and at that time, our pastor was preaching on forgiveness, and she mm-hmm. said, and it's so, and she said so tied into here, and it's really powerful and positive, and so that that kind of blessed me to hear that from her to say, okay, okay, so it wasn't, you know, because I like I said, I was really feeling my own way about sharing it with her, <laughs> not sure how she was going to view me afterwards, Right, she loved it. So I've been getting really great feedback on it. That is good. That is good. We want to talk about some of your other books. Of course, we want to put put the spotlight for our off-the-shelf listeners on Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel by Shel Ramsey, which just came out this last month, in April of last month. Uh-huh, April, was 19th. Also written. April 19th. So it's not even yeah. been out a month, and she's already getting great feedback on uh, Olivia and Angel and Black and some of the other, Tyrone and some of the other characters in the book and what goes on at the House of Bejeweled, the hair salon. And you can check Shell Ramsey out online at cmichelleramsey.com, and that's C-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y.com, and just learn more about her books and what motivates her and about herself. I want to talk about uh, one of your other books. Can you tell us about some of the characters in Is the Grass Really Greener? Okay. Is the Grass Really Greener was the first book that I wrote that featured multiple main characters, and there are five of them. There are five best friends, and each of them are, you know, really living the life, or so it seems that, you know, other people would aspire to have. On the outside looking in, life is great. They've got the careers they want to be in. They've got the relationships they want to have. And, you know, everything's just wonderful. Um, But as you know, we never really know what's going on behind closed doors in someone else's life or what they, Mm -hmm. you know, what battles they may be enduring. Even those closest to us sometimes, we really don't know what's going on. And so um, there's Pavi. And Pavi is engaged, and she's got this wonderful fiancé that she's in love with, but she's battling breast cancer. She just found out at the beginning of the book that she has breast cancer. And she does not want to share it with anyone else. She's going to try to fight this battle on her own. But she does share it with one of the other characters because she sees that character as being really strong, her her best mm-hmm. friend, Davina. Um, is a nurturer, and so she shares it with her, but she lets her know, don't tell the others because I really don't want them worrying about me. And she also decides that she's not going to share it with her fiancé, which, of course, when things do come out, it takes them through a lot um, because she's trying to push him away in an effort to protect him. Um, Devena, as I mentioned, she is the mother of triplets, and they are in middle school, and she's married, and she and her husband have always had this great life, you know, to to everybody else. And she is successful in a career. She's really organized. She's efficient. She is everything that mothers and career women try to aspire what did, to be. What does she do? What is she? I'm trying to picture these women. Are they are their husbands wealthy? What does what does this what is what is her career? What does she do? 
she is actually um, she is in communications and she is a director of communications at her company. Okay. She her husband isn't wealthy. Her husband was actually in the um her husband was actually in communications as well in cable in the uh telecommunications industry, but he lost his job. And okay. he lost his job, of course, you know, their income took a great hit, but she still, mm-hmm. you know, was able to take care of the home and everything. They just had to cut back on things like you know, taking trips out of the country and stuff like that. They couldn't do that anymore. They had to stay a little bit closer to home, you know, after mm-hmm. that happened. And But they're still holding up and everything, and he is kind of going through his own thing with not being the primary breadwinner anymore. He, you know, he's he's feeling some type of way about having to depend on his wife, and he's getting little jobs here and there, but nothing that he really wants. And so he struggles and struggles through, and then he finally has an opportunity to go away. And he goes, um, he goes and, well, I don't want to reveal that, but he goes away on this job that takes him away from home for a few months. And then he comes back home, and when he comes back home, he desires to start his own business. And that, of course, takes him away from the home. And she kind of goes through some things feeling like, you know, she's taken for granted. Everybody just expects her to be stable. Everybody expects her to be, you know, the rock. And so she kind of gets rocked by her world changing the way that it has. And she goes through her own insecurities about that. She still knows who she is, but she does go through some things. And she's also deciding she wants to lose weight because she's been, you know, healthier most of her life and it's never bothered her, but now it's starting to bother her, so she wants to deal with that too. And then um, there is Courtney. Courtney is a curator at the High Museum of Art, and she has a husband who, Nate, is in uh, construction, and they have recently lost their baby, AJ. Mm. he died from SIDS. He was the first baby, and he was a new little little guy when he passed away. And their story is what all that takes their marriage through, um, even down to her sanity being tested when at times she hears her baby crying in the, in the other room and she runs to the mm. nursery and puts the baby there. And um, so, you know, she's kind of going through her own thing, and everybody knows what she's going through to a certain extent. They know that she's lost the baby. They know that their marriage is under attack, and they're all trying to stay strong for her and keep her motivated and everything. But then there, something else happens in the book with her that they don't know about until towards the end. Mm. Um, there's Rain, and Rain is a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher, and she is a single mother to a teenage son and a, a seven-year-old son. And her husband was murdered when they when the baby when the seven year old was just an infant. And so she's raising these kids on her own and she's not looking for love. She doesn't want any relationship. She just wants to focus on her boys and be the mother and the father, so to speak. Um but she soon realizes, you know, she can't be a mother. Or she can't be a father. You know, she can only be the best mother that she can be and surround her boys with positive male influences. But someone has taken an interest in her, and he's determined to do everything he can to get her to see that she doesn't have to do this on her own. So, you know, that's just her battle because her son is also at a stage where he's starting to rebel a lot, and she's just going through a lot with her teenage son. Um, So that's her struggle. And then there is finally... Christina, and she is a news reporter for Channel 7 WGNV in Atlanta, and she <laughs> is living the fabulous life, and she is, you know, a reporter by day. She's, you know, in church being an usher on the weekends, and then on the nights she's out at the club living the life, and she has what everybody thinks is just a fabulous, glamorous life, but she's tired of being single, and so she mm. makes some decisions that's not so great, and Throughout the whole story, they're all, you know, trying to keep their secrets, but then a scandal erupts. And when that scandal comes out, everybody is rocked. And so the secrets are going to come pouring out, and it's really going to test their friendship. It's going to test who they are and everything. And, and at the end, some of them learn and understand, you know, some of them have to make decisions as to whether they're going to completely change their life from the way that it's been. Are they going to change the people who they are, or are they going to stand strong and go through the storm and come out on the other side, you know, better than they were before? Wow. And at the end of it all, 
some of them learn that, you know what, the grass isn't really greener on the other side of the fence, mm. and my grass could be just as green as theirs if I put in the hard work and the sacrifice because you don't right. know what someone went through to make their grass. That's true. Green. That's true. Uh, how long have these women known each other? Did they grow up, are they from grade school? Did they grow up in the same neighborhood? No, I'm sorry, what did you say? A couple of them. A couple of them have known each other since college, and uh, a few of them have known each other since college, and the others they met along the way. Okay. Why do they, what would cause them, and they know each other, and they've known each other for years, what would make them say, you know what, I think her life's better than mine? If they know each other so well, they're five friends, why would they look at each other? I know we do tend to, you know, you look at a colleague uh-huh. and you just, we just assume it could be somebody you go to church with, a neighbor. They just assume their life's easier than mine. They didn't. They didn't have the, as many struggles as I did. My childhood was harder than theirs. Their life is just easier than mine. Why? Why do these women who know each other so well? Why do even they do this? It's more or less because you think you know, and you perceive it as, you know what? I'm going through all of this. And the biggest part of it is that they're not satisfied at that point in their lives. So they're looking all around them, and everybody seems to be doing better than them. And, you know, they're kind of wallowing in their own self-pity. You take Devena, for instance. Devena's married. She's got, you know, these kids. They are all in their extracurricular activities. They are making good grades in school. They seem to be very mannerable. Her husband really loves and adores her. She's got a great relationship with her own parents. And then you take Christina. Christina, because she's tired of living that single life, she wants a husband. She wants kids. She's getting older. You know, she's in her early 40s, and she's like, I haven't had kids yet. What's happening to me? You know, at first this party life was great, but I'm tired of it now, and I want that. Why can't I have it? Why can't I find a man who's going to love me and Mm. cherish me like that? You know, and then it's, it's the same for all of them. Each of them are going through something. You know, with Courtney, she's grieving her baby. She doesn't understand why would God do this to us? Why would he take away our child you know we had this beautiful marriage and things was just great why is this happening now nobody else is going through this what did i do i you know i'm a good Mm. woman i go to church i do this i do that what did i do wrong to be punished you know and so they get caught up in that victim mentality uh yeah i can see i can that that you know somebody else has what you think will make you happy and even Mm -hmm. Even they, with what they have, that you think would make you happy, they're not happy themselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's you funny you said that. that uh-huh. It's yeah. so funny that you said that because when I wrote this book, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I had my blog is called Writing My Dreams because a lot of times if I, I have some of the craziest dreams, and I'll jump up and I'll jot them down in the middle of the night, and there goes a story. So mm-hmm. this story stemmed from a dream that I had, and actually the dream that I had was the scandal that happens in the book. So the book ends up centering around that scandal. But I had that dream, and I jumped up, and I wrote it down. I'm like, ooh, that would be good. And in the next few days, all these other thoughts start popping in my head, you know, dealing with the grief of a child, breast cancer. Just everything kept popping, and I just kept writing it down. And it came out to five, and I said, huh, five women? Well, can I write a book that would have five women in there? Can I really do that? And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to rise to the challenge and see what I could do. And while I'm writing this book and I'm going on, all of a sudden, things start coming out um, with people around me, you know, even down into mm. my club. Some people started sharing some things with me that they were going through. Had no idea that I was writing this book. And what really rocked me was after I finished writing the book, someone came and shared something that they were going through um, in their own personal life, and they just kind of came to me and needed that, you know, ear. And, and so I was that, and I was like, uh-oh, and you know, eventually I came back. I said, well, can I share something with you? And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I wrote about that exact situation in my book, but I wasn't writing about you because I didn't know it was you. And so, you know, it was, you know, and these things that were coming to me threw me for a loop because to me, you know, these are my friends. These are people I know, but from what I perceive, everything is all good with you. I never guessed that. So that's what, you know, that's exactly what it shows in this book because I I was thrown by some of the revelations, you know, that were coming to me at that time and they were all coming 
from different directions. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, two very powerful things that are going on in this book was actually happened to two of, two of the people at that time that I really did not know I had no clue of. Isn't that something? I was just giving it's funny you kind of just kind of segued into what the next question I was going to ask you, which was have you ever based any of your books on real-life events? And it seems like you may have, but to your own unawares. Yeah. You didn't intentionally, you've never written a book that you, something happened and you said, I want to write it around this. Or do you generally write your books, as you said earlier, off of dreams that you've had? I generally write everything off of dreams, and I try not to write about anything that someone may be going through because I don't want anybody to get the impression that I'm writing about them. So I try and run as far away as possible from those situations. But I do, you know, sometimes, a lot of times they come from dreams, but then sometimes I might just have an idea, you know, something like, hmm, I wonder what that would be like, you know. And I've got this really bad habit. I can be sitting somewhere at a restaurant and just see somebody walk by, and I'll look and I'm like, huh, I get to making up a story about that person in my head. I wonder if they're like this, that, or the other, and I'm gone. And the next thing you know, I'm making <laughs> some notes, and I'm like, that's my story. And I'm oh, my goodness. So, uh, As we come I, down... Oh, go ahead. Dreams, you're one of the first uh, guests on Off the Shelf who writes books based off of dreams. I have to tell you, you're one of the first who has told me that, how interesting. But as we come down to less than 10 minutes in today's show, coming down to the end, there are some things I really want to touch on for our listeners who themselves might be writers or want to be writers on how they can really get their careers going, being that you've written you know, at three at least three books in your latest release last month, uh, Bejeweled, The Fight of an Angel. But what I want to ask you first, and this could help some of our other listeners, what major lessons have you learned did you learn while writing your first book that you can that you continue to use that continue to benefit you today? Um first and foremost, write from your heart. Write out of your own passions and write for yourself because what I have realized is you don't, trying to write with the trends and things of that nature, it's not going to come out right, you know, if you're trying to write what is selling at this time because that might not be what you're good at, you know, that might not be your gift. And, and I really believe we should write from who we are, allowing our natural creativity to pour out onto the page. Um, the second thing, a, a very hard experience that I had to go through was learning a, a couple of things, actually, was that make sure you get your books edited. Please, please, please get your books edited because I am, like, I am huge on spelling. I, I cannot stand to look at my stuff and see that I misspelled anything. But when mm-hmm. you look at it again and again, sometimes you, you, you have a blind eye to certain things that, you know, other people can catch. So I always say definitely get it edited. I have beta readers as well so that they give me feedback on what they think could be improved or how that story may have hit them. Um, And don't do your own book covers. I did that with the first three. And, well, actually, let me not say that with with the second one and the third one I did. And um, I still am going to go back and get those revamped. But this last one I have loved, and we got that professionally done. So, Whenever you're doing anything, no matter what your budget may be like, invest to make it worth its while. You really will definitely reap the rewards from that, just, you know, giving it your best and putting in that time, that effort, and and the financial investment to make it be all that it can be. Okay. Cheryl Cheryl just shared some wonderful tips with you guys out here in the off-the-shelf radio land, you know, getting your, your cover professionally done, having your book edited. She has beta readers who also will read her novels. And it puts me in mind in the film industry where they'll do their, they'll test out their movies and see their reactions and types of changes they might need to make before they actually launch the movie, put it out on the market. And the same you could do as a writer, as a writer and writing from your heart. So those are lessons that for, as, a, as one of the listeners of our show – if you if you're currently writing or you want to write a novel or a nonfiction book, even at that, you could take some of those tips she shared 
to heart. And I want to ask her for uh, a few other tips that could benefit you, our off-the-shelf listeners. Now, I know we, we we're coming down with about five minutes left, but writing and publishing a book is just the first step in putting a book out. I've heard this so many times, and I, and I fully believe it. Selling the book is the heart. That's that's where you really, really, really got to get to work. What that said, Cheryl, what four to five marketing steps can you share with our listeners that you found that worked for you? Now, actually, this is something that I'm just really learning and starting to implement on this fourth novel, different things, because in the first three, I just kind of, you know, sat back and tried a few little things like Facebook and Twitter and things of that nature. But um, with this book, I'm trying to move in a different direction. One thing that is very helpful um, is definitely setting up a book tour, um, whether it's a blog tour or a radio tour. Um, those things are definitely helpful. And I have collaborated on this project with Ty Webin Creations, Ty Webin Publicity ran by uh, Tyora Moody. She has helped me to take some of that weight off of me and that she, you know, pulled together the blog tours, the radio tours, and um, the Facebook chat, and she pulled that together for me. So that was something I didn't have to worry about. But getting out there and connecting with different people that you might not normally connect with um, an audience from someone else's blog that has never heard of you, you know, getting that type of exposure. Another thing that I have been um, doing is I went on Goodreads and we did a giveaway on Goodreads, two of the books on there, and I had a lot of people come on and add it to their to-be-read shelf. And, and I don't know if this actually resulted from that, but the very next day after the uh, winner was announced, I saw a spike in sales. Okay. Um, a third thing was, and I've not tried this one yet, but I'm looking to do it, is an ad on different sites like Kindle boards. I often see the banners waving up there with different books, so that's something that I definitely want to do. Um, and something that's really been great, and I have not done it with Bejeweled, but I just did it with Is the Grass Really Greener, which I'm still doing this now, is I put Is the Grass Really Greener on sale um, and it was featured on e-reader news today and saw a huge spike in sales on that. I mean, it was just crazy. So, and, and, and I did that for initially last Sunday and the sale is still running through this weekend and I'm still seeing it pour in from being on e-reader news today. And so that has been the greatest one that I've seen. It, and, um, another Arthur MJ Kane actually told me about that. And so I tried it and I have to say I'm definitely satisfied. Um, each of my books have, well, the last two books, I should say, have had a release celebration on Facebook. And so with this last one, Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel, the release celebration allowed me to invite other authors. So every half an hour from about 11.30 a.m. until 6 p.m., there was an author on there, and they would pose different questions I gave them. I love scenario-type questions like what we use in job interviews. But it was different questions that would be, from a reader's perspective, and they had to answer it. And based on those answers, the author would choose who they were going to give a book away to. So these authors all came out and supported me on that day, and they brought with them some of their readers as well. And with my book being that featured book of the day, once again, it drove sales for those people who did not win my book, but they were able to go out and buy it. And another thing that I have just started doing is building a street team and um, that's just an avid group of, you know, followers who really enjoy your work and really want to help you get your messages out about, you know, what you're doing, any appearances that you may have or special promotions that you have going on. They go out, they share my posts on Facebook and Instagram, on Pinterest, and a lot of times I got a couple of them in my my group is called Page Riders, but I've got a couple of them that they don't wait for me to give them a new mission. They just go out there and just run with it. And so that's really great because they're really helping, you know, me to connect with a wider audience. And I've noticed on Twitter I've got a whole new, because of a couple of my Page Riders, I've got a whole new group now that are starting to follow me and that are, you know, sending me follow messages or whatnot that I had not connected with before. And a lot of them are here in Atlanta, and they're coming from um, – the hip hop music industry, which is really interesting. So, those are you know those are some of the things that I say: the street team, um, giveaways, release celebration, your blog tours, 
e-reader news today, which is a huge one, and potentially ads on different sites such as Kindle boards. Okay. You shared a lot of good advice today and enjoyed hearing about Bejeweled and Is the Grass Really Greener? And then Shell Ramsey, she also, off-the-shelf listeners, has a book called Real Secrets and Reflections of Promises, which we didn't have time today to talk about because we've come to the end of the day show. I do encourage you to visit uh, Shell Ramsey at C-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y.com. And, and her latest book, again, is Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel, and I would love for you to pick up a copy of my new book as well, Love Pour Over Me. Before we go, I have to have to ask you, where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of your books? They can go to Amazon.com and they can get it in paperback or ebook. Amazon.com, you guys. Amazon.com. We want to thank Shell Ramsey for being here with us today, the author of Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel, which came out the middle of last month. It hasn't even been out a month. Please go and support Shell Ramsey again, author of Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel. You can Google her, and her book is on sale in print and ebook at Amazon.com, Bejeweled, The Fight of an Angel by Shell Ramsey. Thank you, Shell, for being here with us, and I thank all of our off-the-shelf listeners. Please come back next Saturday. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, book lovers, people, entrepreneurs. We have a lot of different guests that we have had on Off the Shelf over nearly 10 years to come out and support Off the Shelf at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, as I say, on Saturday mornings, you will. we always give some tip, some advice that you can take and use in your life, a practical tip that's easy to use. Thanks to Shell again. Please go support her. As I always tell you, you are so amazing. You are incredible. You are absolutely awesome. Go out and create a great day for yourself. See you next Saturday. Bye for now, Shell. I'll shoot you an email. Thank you, Denise, for having me. Have a great one.